Welcome back to another episode of Stern Chats. Today's guest is Stern alumna Sarah Sindelar. Sarah is a marketing manager at IBM. She has been recognized as a leader in the marketing industry and was most recently named as one of Forbes 30 Under 30 Game Changers in advertising and marketing. So Andrew, will you tell us a little bit more about Sarah? I'd love to. Sarah has been working at IBM since 2010. Throughout her time, she has had many roles, most notably as a next-gen entrepreneur. Sarah has been named a 2016 Adweek Young Influential. While Sarah was at IBM, she was also in the part-time program here at NYU called the Langone Program. She served as part of Langone Student Government, as the AVP of Student Affairs, and as the AVP of Philanthropy. Sarah is a true star. We're so grateful that she's a Sterney as well. Special thanks to Anthony Russ for producing this episode, and as always, Daniel Tennyson and Bob Kerr for their help in the booth. What do you think, Andrew? Should we start the show? Let's flip the switch and get going. Cue that music. From New York University Stern Campus, this is Stern Chats, the podcast that tells the hidden stories between the lines of someone's resume. In the interest of serving the Stern community, building relationships, and unlocking important life lessons, we present these stories to a wider audience. Welcome to another episode of Stern Chats. I'm Devda Shukla. And I'm Andrew Slotnick. We are so excited to have a very famous alum, I'd like to say, in our studio today, the wonderful Sarah Sindelar. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's easy for you to come over across the street. You're located at IBM right on Astor Place, right? We actually are moving in. We just moved into a WeWork. Oh, oh, really? So we took over 10 floors of WeWork on universities, so even closer than Astor Place. So yes, a whole three-minute walk. <laughs> WeWorks we are great. My wife works in a WeWork. She loves it. Dogs are all over the place. You the free get your beer. coffee, free beer. <laughs> I go there for Nitro my brew. Brooklyn summer on Friday afternoons. My wife is like, why are you at my office? What's going on? Um, but that's awesome. So one thing we like to do is we like all of our guests to give a quick 30-second elevator pitch just so the listeners can have a better idea of who you are. Sure. So I'm Sarah Sindelar. I grew up in Connecticut, went to Syracuse, and um, moved into New York a year after college and was an IBMer, kind of a lifer at this point, I guess, 10 years in. I uh, started as an intern in 2008 after um, my first semester abroad in London, where I fell in love with traveling. and. Um, really started falling in love with advertising and marketing, and that sort of steered me into this career path of marketing and advertising, which then got me excited about how we really make a, a very legacy brand of IBM passionate about the young generation. Excellent. There is so much to unpack about you, and I'm so excited. One thing that struck me is you said that you were a lifer, and I've definitely been called that in my life as well. I interned at a company and stayed there for many years. What is it about IBM specifically that makes you want to stay there and grow there? Yeah, so IBM, it's 400,000 employees roughly around the globe in 170 countries. So tiny, small, tiny little yeah. small startup. startup. Yep. <laughs> Jinx. Only been around for a few <laughs> years. And um, so, no, IBM really gives you the breadth of opportunity from geography to job role to verticals within certain industries within that. You can tap into any industry you want to. Um, and they really encourage the flexibility to move within the company. So to me, I've been able to have four or five different jobs never leaving the IBM brand, which has been fantastic. And just so everybody knows, you are not sitting there building computers, putting together keyboards. I'm lucky it's I know how to turn a computer company. on. <laughs> but yeah, no, we have fully moved into the services arm um, and focusing on AI, et cetera. That's awesome. Yeah. We did a little bit of research, and you were very involved with the millennial 
core at IBM, the, the strength of entrepreneurship. Can you talk a little bit about your role there and, and what that program was all about? Sure. So um, when I moved into an advertising role a few years ago, it was a little bit um, right as I was transitioning into actually the Langone program. That job came from a project we did all about making IBM relevant for millennials. So it was sort of a side strategic project. It's one of those things where they're like, you get an award for being great, but then we're going to give you like another 20 hours of work every day. And um, not X amount in pay. Correct. Just, yeah, just this is just it. for fun. Nice. Yeah. You, everybody's got to take those on, though. Um, but what I realized is I, I was really passionate about gaining the brand awareness for younger audiences but also getting people in the company excited about being at IBM because it's a life for a company. How do we get more younger people in the company and get them excited about our brand, still know that IBM's here and not building laptops? Um, so we did that side project, and um, that sort of fed into me meeting a lot of other people that were doing similar side projects. So we all started to get together and see how can we really engage more of the millennials. Um, and one of the, the couple of people I had met, um, they were running this millennial core, and it was fantastic. It was actually four people that grew to about 5,400 people. Um, and that became a focus group for our CEO in her sort of her sweet spot of uh, the C-suite and um, her client experience team. And we were able to really give their point of view of what we felt as the next generation of buyers and employees into the work that they were doing. So it's no surprise or no, it's no secret that IBM was going through a major transformation a few years ago. And that was really key is how do we bring up this different voice? Um, I really felt this voice of the next generation. And that's not age. That's very much we're on our phones 24-7. We're constantly going to Google first to find anything, right? So it's how do we get our sort of second nature for our generation that everyone else is doing into, the, um, into sort of the strategy that they're working through. Um, and so we really started tapping into Millennial Core um, as a major, major focus group for um, a lot of the work that's happening. And um, what happened was we were all working on it as a side job. Again, no extra pay, <laughs> but a side job, but a passion project that was really exciting. And um, finally, we all sort of looked at each other and we presented to our CEO before we went into the room. It was all happening in the same day and said, why don't we just ask her if we can make our own team? Like the three of us, like if we made 100% of our time on this, like think about the engagement um, that we could really increase here. So um, she approved it, and we started this new team called Next Gen Entrepreneurs. Um, and the entrepreneur piece really being about we always see on covers and lists and, you know, the way that we talk, it's like the new startup and the new the new partners and, and founders of this startup and that startup. Um, but we don't really talk about the startup culture that you can have within a large company like IBM. So we wanted to really work on entrepreneurship. And that was the three of us starting this team working as entrepreneurs within this large company and being able to um, move quickly on the work that we were doing and not have to go through the hierarchy approvals and politics as other teams were. What surprised you within this millennial core group? Did you find that everyone had sort of the same perspective as a millennial or did you find that people were really all over the place? Example, Snapchat, very divisive like topic amongst like friends and peers here at school. And so it's hard to say one thing in class or one thing mm -hmm. to managers because people just aren't necessarily on the same page. Yeah, we actually found, and I think this is what helped them, the executives keep coming back for input, is it was very clear what the answer was. Um, and we talked earlier about IBM being a global team and you bouncing around. That group of 5400 had almost every country represented, every job role, every function, every age range. I mean, it was really a millennial-minded, next-gen point of view. And the results were very clear of things that we should be doing, from a media partner or from where, where people are getting their news to um, what they feel are the biggest pain points in their day job, et cetera. And it was very clear what those top things were. So the CEO that you're working with, um, Ginny Romady, one of the most 
prominent women CEOs in the world, if not the most prominent woman CEO in the world. How was her leadership? How did her leadership affect you? Um, what, she clearly was very receptive. What's your view on how she's been able to run the company and how your place at IBM has been shaped by that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, it's funny. A lot of people are surprised that we have a woman CEO. Um, and to me, I think that has been really a game changer also as a woman in tech in this company and the focus that she's made on women in tech and women in the workplace and diversity and inclusion. Um, and that's really been very impactful. But she's also, she asked the right questions. I mean, mind you, in my time there, I've spent maybe 20 minutes presenting to her and engaging with her and whatnot. But that's, that's nothing to sneeze at, though, right? Think about it. It's a company of 400,000 people. You've had 20 minutes with the CEO. There's something that you worked on mm -hmm. that she knows about. That's mm -hmm. that's really meaningful. It is. It is. Um, and it takes a village to, to get there. But it's she's she wants to hear everyone's voice. And I think to me that was I walked out of the room and we presented to her and she really she listened. And I think you don't really feel that with a lot of senior leadership when you have, at the time, I was like 24, 25, and most people are like, okay, nice, nice thoughts. Like, you can now move on now, and we'll let like, you know, the big guys take care of it. She was really listening and probing and asking questions and, and really took it um, to heart on how we can help be a part of that transformation. Excellent. What advice do you have for people who work in big companies and want to feel that sort of innovation? How do they really sort of go about starting that conversation with their own managers or even senior leaders? Yeah, I mean, it definitely starts with initiative. But for us, it was a, a combination of passion and finding a niche that people weren't focusing on. Um, and then having the data behind it to really encourage people who maybe didn't believe in that, how we can move forward and why that's a priority for us. You know, there's a lot of ideas. There's a lot of ideas that don't succeed. You only hear about that, you know, 0.1% that actually succeeds. But I think the more data you could have to back that up and really sell it in and also not taking no for an answer. I mean, keep selling it into different teams. The bigger the company is, the more people you have to go to and sell your idea and someone's going to listen to you. Um, and we had no shortage of no's that we got from products we tried to get through the door. But um, yeah, I, I think it's just, it's finding that niche and something that you're really passionate about. And it's, it's like in a startup culture, everyone's always saying, right, they're mostly buying into the individual. Yeah, the idea is great, but they're really investing in the individual. And so I think it's the same thing as if you're passionate, you're selling that through in a big company, it's the same nature. No, I, f I, I feel as though everybody's an expert at something. And that's really where you feel as though you can make leaps and bounds within mm -hmm. a company. What is your particular niche? What What do you come to the table with um, that you're the go-to person with at IBM? Absolutely nothing, no. Um, <laughs> no well, so the one thing I'm passionate about, and I actually get this from my father, I am my father's daughter 100% through and through, is connecting people. And that is one thing that I am passionate about is getting people in the room. Like I always say, my favorite thing is going to a dinner party and bringing in people from all different parts of my life and just seeing what happens. Um, and I think that happens at work too. The, my people I mentor, et cetera, is getting them to the right people to learn because you're right, everyone has their own niche and skill, but I also like to be the dumbest one in the room. So how do you get people who can really learn, you can learn from as an individual? And then I got really excited about the next generation, just how we can keep making the right path for the next generation that's coming in behind us. 
I would love to talk to you about a really exciting thing that happened in 2016. Um, it is the Met Gala, and the beautiful Carolina Krakova walked the red carpet at probably the biggest fashion event of the entire year in a dress designed by Marquesa and IBM Watson. Can you talk to us about that entire project from start to finish and how you guys even came up with this idea? Sure. So that um, two-year anniversary is Monday, actually, first Monday of every May. And um, we, one of my partners on our team of three, um, was actually reading Vogue, getting her hair done. And it's like the best ideas come when you're not thinking about it. And realized the theme of the Met Gala that year was Man is Ex Machina, so Man and Machine, which is exactly IBM's theme and preach on Man and Machine, not Man versus Machine. And she texted and was like, we got to do this. And so we had to sell it in with a lot of no's because IBM at the Met Gala, no one even knew what the Met Gala was that we were talking to. Um, so it was a hard sell in. But when we started really talking about this theme of fashion and technology, we were able to sell it in that angle. We actually tapped into the millennial core um, and asked them, like, what designers do you respect the most and which ones are you going to? We also talked in and figured out what media partners they go to each day. We were able to get their focus group point of view, so we were able to get the top of what people were interested in. And then when we found the partner with Marquesa, who was brilliant to work with and so collaborative and excited to learn and do something new, it was really great to um, design the dress. And we wanted to really... We wanted to stay authentic, and that's, I like, I'm a broken record. I constantly talk about authenticity at work, and Marquise is very authentic, and we wanted their dress to be authentic. And like you saw in the other dresses that went down the runway, they're very robot-y, techy future. This was this beautiful dress that even if the lights didn't turn on, it still was going to be beautiful walking down the red carpet. And we just wanted to insert our technology within that. Um, and so we worked with a lot of different technology partners and, and our Watson ABIs to figure out how we can get real-time data from fans about the Met Gala and their sentiment towards Met Gala that night and engage with them. And we found the top media, uh, the top fashion partner um, in terms of media in the cut and got them to do a whole piece on it. And that just sort of exploded. We had the full social plan. We went social first. It was like not really top of mind for a lot of teams in the, in the company, but we were like, we need to be social first for this because that's where everyone's going to be. I feel as though it fit in really nicely with the types of marketing that IBM does. Obviously, IBM's a huge sponsor of the Masters. Huge, major event catering towards men. You have the Met Gala. A lot of women read about it um, and, and others read about it as well. Not also to mention Carolina Kirkova. I get coffee at the same place she does in Tribeca. And it's your best I was, friends. It, yeah, we're like basically best friends, right? <laughs> I stand behind her in line. She's like six foot two. <laughs> and I'm there just like looking to get my uh, my coffee around her. But uh, it, when I saw the pictures, they were awesome. Yeah, you're so right that like you expect to hear IBM made a dress that's going to have like wires and be like silver and really like sort of harsh and like machine like. Well, you didn't look under the dress. <laughs> also fair. Also fair. But she wore USB it. cables. <laughs> she had out. a battery pack in her back. Oh my goodness. But you look at this dress yeah. and like any girl would be like, I want to go to the Met Gala on this. I want to get married in this dress. I want this dress in my life. And it looks so flowy and mm -hmm. free. And so you guys did an incredible job. Yeah. And I'm sure that every other company is like, why don't we think about this? Yeah. And you talked about the women in the Met Gala. Carolina Kirkova, which Marquesa did select as the model wearing it, that's what got the men excited. So we also tapped into the men audience very heavily. There we go. <laughs> Clearly. There we From go. coffee to the Met Gala. Every Monday you can catch <laughs> Carolina Kirkova. That's that's amazing. Did she have to like plug in the dress to charge it during the gala? She had a... a, a <laughs> so on the actual ride to the Met Gala that night, we were in the hotel room of St. Regis, putting the dress on her, getting everything plugged in, the last coating done, and it wasn't turning on. Oh, and we're boy. Like, crap. So they we were like, well, at least it's a beautiful dress. <laughs> 
I mean, this is not the night to also have any sort of like glitch or fashion no. faux power. I mean, this is no. like the whole world is yeah. watching you and Anna Wintour. But, but the it, dress had turned on before at it some did, point. It was always working. It was just there's something glitched. So we had the coder ride in limo. We had to get a... Uh, not an actual limo, but like a bus. I'm so she couldn't sit this. down because the wires would disconnect. <laughs> so she, there's a video of her standing there and she's like, I can't sit down because, and the guy was still coding the dress on the way to the Met Gala. And we were sitting in the hotel room watching this being like, I don't know if it's going to turn on or not. <laughs> Can you imagine her stepping out of the limo and there's like some uh, computer engineer walking out wearing a hoodie with his laptop open just trying to get it all straight. Yeah, pretty sure security would be like, this guy does not belong here. Or maybe he does. I don't know. You, they were taking the uh, the theme to the next level. Yes, yeah. definitely. But the dress is, um, I had to fly it out to Detroit. It's sitting in a museum now, all powered up, plugged in, and uh, working there, which wow. is cool. Yeah. Very cool. There we go. Sarah has a, uh, a piece in a museum. I don't have our that. Team. Our team. Your team. Fashion yes. designer. The big team. Tech big team. guru. Millennial. Leader of them all. I mean, we're like only a few minutes in. Let's hit the next one. <laughs> uh, so Sarah is going to be honored at the Forbes 30 Under 30 event this coming weekend, right? Mm-hmm. You're flying out to Israel tomorrow. Can you talk a little bit about how that happened? Uh, we all occasionally read that and see who makes it and who doesn't. What's that process like? Yeah, the the process, I, I had a unique process because I don't know how I got on the list. Um, I've been recognized in the industry in other ways, but very niche places of advertising, etc. Um, and so I was actually in Germany, so it was 10 o'clock at night. And one of my media uh, friends in the industry texted me congratulations. And I was like, I'm at a bar three beers in. Like, what are you talking about? Um, and sent me a screenshot of it. So I had no idea where it was coming from and what it was. Um, and so I was trying to, like, hide it because I was at someone else's honoree, like, moment before it got out. So I really I, – I don't know how I got on. I'm very honored. Um, and I think it, it's amazing to see IBM on this list. Um, there's a lot of startups. I think it's like 95% startups, if not more, um, represent on there. So just to represent IBM and such a large brand that we're doing innovative things, to me, that's exciting. Um, and obviously humbled to, to represent the huge team that really puts all this stuff together. Absolutely. What has that done for you personally and professionally to be on this extremely exclusive list that just sort of like comes out and takes the world by storm? Has your LinkedIn inbox been totally destroyed? Um, it, it definitely, there was a, there was a big peak in November. There Can we, we still um, add you on LinkedIn? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're going to be like number 150 in requests. Like, who are these two? Yeah. Who are these two people? <laughs> I don't know. It really, I, I was surprised, uh, to be honest. So I haven't really been able to leverage it because I just don't know what it means. Right. And I don't mm. really believe that I'm on it. It's a little bit of an imposter syndrome. So it's something that I don't, I kind of hold close to myself versus publicly really talking about. Sure. So, Yeah. Terrible well, answer to your question. <laughs> no, well, congratulations. We're so proud of you. Proud of you that of all that you've done, also to have a journey on that list. It's incredible. And so we're very, um, again, proud of all that you've done so far. You have some, though, key rules to the workplace. Again, 30 under 30, you have such a clear vision for yourself and are so self-aware. I'd love to hear about some of your rules for the workplace and how you develop them as well. I really like mentoring young people, um, especially young women. And I got asked to speak at a conference uh, a couple years ago, a year ago. That was uh, high school girls and middle school girls trying to figure out how to get to college and the next steps and, and how to get um, in the STEM fields. And I, I started thinking through how am I going to talk to them because it was the time of the dress coming out. And I'm like, oh, I could talk about the dress and that's exciting. But like, how can I really give them some tools to walk away from? So it made me have sort of an internal moment of what are my real keys to success that I've seen and reflected on and found to be extremely helpful to share that forward. 
Um, and one of the the top things for me, so I was a ballet dancer since I was three. My mom put me in class to like get me so she can go to the grocery store by herself. She's like, just take this. And I ran for it for 15 years. And the one thing that really instilled in me was discipline. Um, and it's so important to connect your ambitions and your time management, et cetera. But if you don't have the discipline to really stick with something, it's not going to be successful. The other one is not taking no for an answer, which was very clear in a lot of our recent projects because we were trying so many new and innovative things. Um, how can you really sell it in to not let no kind of shut you down, but how do you let that fuel you to keep moving forward? Um, and mentorship and sponsorship for sure. So a lot of people, um, especially uh, younger people, don't really know the difference between a mentor and a sponsor. And to me, it's just such a clear, important definition because your sponsor is not someone you're going to all the time. And and who I classify as my sponsor, she's my little guardian angel at work, but she brought me in as my first internship and has always been there kind of giving me the right direction on a much bigger scale. But you go to her on a quarterly basis. I'm not going to her on my day-to-day issues. Um, and then having mentors of all sort of ranges to help you on the day-to-day. So to me, that's been really important is having someone who's going to go to bat for you and like really fight for you and things, but then having someone you could vent to and talk about your day-to-day problems. How do you develop those? So my friend told me a really interesting quote this week. She said, you can't manufacture mentors, which makes so much sense. But I think a lot of people, myself included, are stuck between how do we get this person to really like dig in and take sort of ownership of also how I'm doing while also like leaning on them for support. So how do you really build that relationship and how mindful are you when those relationships come about? Yeah, I think it's it's hard and it's not natural for people. Um, and it's not natural for me. I'm the one at the cocktail party when I know no one that I'm in the corner like waiting for someone to come up to me. But it's you have to identify people and slowly build relationships. Um, and how do you find someone that you work with on a personality level, but also someone who's kind of counter to you and different from you? Because if not, they're going to keep telling you to do the same things you're doing. Um, so I always like to start my mentorships, um, and even with my mentees, is just starting to get to know people and get one meetings, and then it turns into another meeting, and it kind of naturally forms. And I hate that formal process of, will you be my mentor? Mm-hmm. Um, it was so awkward. I had a, a mentee come to me the other day, and, and we'd only kind of started getting friendly at work. And she's like, can we go for coffee? And like, she, right at the bat, it was like getting asked on a first date. She was like, will you be my mentor? I was like, you don't have to <laughs> make it so formal. It's like when you're like, are we boyfriend and yeah, exactly, now? Yeah, exactly. Is this it? Do you want to officially go out with me even though we're not going to go out anywhere? Exactly. But it's that weird thing that you don't know. You can claim yeah. someone as your mentor and they're like, who is that person? Or like, oh, yeah, I remember one time we worked on a project. So it is a really weird yeah. um, a relationship experience to have. But I think it's everyone's going to be honored to be a mentor. Absolutely. Everyone wants to give advice and everyone loves talking about themselves. So if someone's asking you for advice, like they're going to want to be there for you. Um, my old thing I always give my mentees is advice and my friends, et cetera, is making sure it's a give and take relationship. If you're constantly going to them, which is, I feel like my sponsor, I'm always going to her when it's like, okay, next career decision needs to happen. I need you here. But a mentor, you need to be able to give something back to them. It's that connecting them to other people or looking out for new employees that they can hire or Whatever it might be, advice, bringing a next-gen perspective to something, if it's an older employee, whatever it is, teach them how to use Snapchat, whatever. I I really hold that really close to me in terms of a give-and-take relationship. And I actually recently read the book Give and Take, Mm. which was really eye-opening in terms of who's a giver and who's a taker and who's sort of in that middle ground and how you can clearly identify them and how to sort of improve on that, especially from a mentorship uh, relationship. I love how you brought up the difference in the relationship between sponsorship and mentorship. That is a theme that we have seen across this podcast. Kathy and Andre talked about it. um, And I'm really glad you brought it up. Just to switch a little bit to talk about you saying, don't take no for an answer. 
if you're young in your career, there's definitely a lot of pressure to just be a yes person, not to cause issue, keep your head down. At what point or how do you think it's appropriate for somebody to say, look, I think we should do something differently. No. How do we how do we, how do we fix this? Somebody shuts something down. How do you keep pursuing it? What is what has been your experience there? Yeah, so I think it's so important to challenge the status quo, and especially as someone new coming out of an MBA program, undergraduate, whatever it is, coming in with a new, fresh perspective to something. Um, but you also have to make sure you have this balance of knowing people have experience and you coming in new to the table. So it's always good to be the listener at first and really understand and then start to build your case in terms of data or why it would counteract something someone's saying and really um, be able to have the support behind your just idea that you think or something that's wrong. Um, I always have a, a bad <laughs> a bad habit of just sort of reacting in a negative way versus trying to think of the other side or having a positive spin on it. And I think that's so important is not just go to someone and say, well, why are you doing this, this, and this way, but more ask questions. And I'm trying to be better at asking questions about why it's done a certain way. And then you can react to it of saying, well, what if we tried it this way? Um, and I think that's an important way to approach it, especially as you're coming new into something. Um, and then data 100%. Like as long as you can build your case of why or say, okay, well, if you don't like this idea on a broad scale, how about we try it on just this team? We do a lot of pilots on just one part of the organization versus the whole organization. If it's successful, then let's try it on another one and then another one versus asking to boil the ocean on something. Excellent. I'm, I'm really happy to hear that you also mentor young men and women as well. I think that's a really important part of this sort of professional ecosystem. It's like you said, giving and taking. You have to also be a giver as well. What have you learned from one of your mentors, or sorry, mentees rather, that surprised you? Besides probably some good Snapchat filters. They're always good for that. <laughs> I don't even know how to use Snapchat. <laughs> I don't even know if it works on my phone anymore. That's a whole other side, side conversation. It's interesting. I, I had a meeting yesterday with someone. Young people are so eager because mm -hmm. our generation is so, like, needing to move forward and they need to, like, see the next promotion, the next raise. They need to just have that constant instant gratification because of the world we live in today. And... I've realized and I've tried to pull back on this as well is the lack of sometimes humbleness and humility in some of the younger. It's like, why can't I, why aren't I getting my next promotion? Why aren't I doing this? Um, and starting to sort of look internally on, on cases I'm doing that. Um, so I think that's, it's good to learn from them in terms of their eagerness and their excitement and their drive. And that drives passion back into me of like, oh yeah, that I remember doing this and I remember how much I love that. But I think also realizing um, how you can have a little bit more humbleness and humility in your day-to-day -day and start listening to those of experience. Because when they're not listening to you, you know you're not listening to your, your um, more experienced mentors as well and kind of pay that forward. I think it's really interesting, especially coming from somebody who works for a company that you, where you describe yourself as a lifer, right? It's very rare for folks our age to go work for a company and be like, I'm going to be there until I'm 60. My 401k is going to come <laughs> out of the same company and this is how it's going to go. So definitely refreshing to hear that perspective. So you've been at IBM, you interned there. Um, you're also a Stern Langone alumni. Mm -hmm. So you were part of the part-time program here at Stern. What was your decision for going back to business school and deciding between a full-time program versus a part-time program? Maybe can you just walk us sure. through that? Um, so I've always been a planner, a shocking, an MBA student that's type A, but um, I always knew I wanted to further my education after college. So I felt three, four years-ish that was going to be my timeline when I felt like I had enough experience within work. Um, but when I really started diving into marketing, realized the industry is moving really, really fast. And I knew I didn't want to make a big career switch. So I wanted to 
be able to go to school while working and not be able to step out for two years and lose that quick pace industry movement that was happening. And IBM was able to support me in that decision in terms of financially, but also in terms of getting out of work by five o'clock and making it on time and getting back to work at 9 p.m., et cetera. They were really able to work with me on that. So it was also exciting to be able to take that classroom work, moving it right into the day job the next morning. Um, and I started to really understand that um, after you got past the accounting and whatnot from a marketing job, but really it made me realize how much IBM was actually moving forward ahead of a lot of other companies. Obviously, we have a big company, a lot of budget, so we can play around a lot. We have a lot of media partners. But I didn't realize how forward thinking we were in terms of reaching different social media channels, being able to try different things, different partnerships, et cetera. Um, so being able to then learn from what other smaller companies are doing that, bringing that into the way we're doing stuff, because we get a little big and slow. How can we get more fast paced like these smaller industries and the, the knowledge that I was learning in class? What so, was that conversation like internally, though, to get that buy in, especially with such a tech you know, powerhouse mm -hmm. like IBM, did you have to sell them on the value of an MBA or what was that your strategy like for that? Yeah, I was definitely selling them on the value of it and how much, I mean, it helped the fact that I was going to focus on marketing and digital marketing when I came to Langone. So that was completely relevant to my day job. Um, but I, no one else really has MBAs in our marketing world um, within the company, including our previous CMO. So it was sort of a hard sell-in of what's really the benefit. If you're going to stay here, you don't need it. Mm -hmm. um, so it was difficult to sell the value in, but I think as soon as they realized how passionate I was about it, also just let, making them understand how much I could get my day job done in my day job, um, and this was just going to be an add-on bonus for them to help accelerate and bring in external points of view. Um, you talk about a lifer. There's a lot of lifers at IBM. So not a lot of people have that external knowledge that they're bringing in from other industries, other different partners, et cetera. Um, so that was really, I think, exciting for them to be able to have a different perspective that's brought in on a day-to-day -day basis. I find it so interesting that IBM was able to support you in this. And on top of it all, you have all these big companies that come and recruit MBAs from the full-time program. But at the same time, they're not paying for students to go to school to get an MBA like they used to. Mm -hmm. So when you have this situation, like a company like IBM, who obviously saw a star, wanted to keep that going, um, that's good to see. And I wish we would see more of it, to be completely honest. Agreed. It, yeah. I mean, it's a huge benefit. It definitely got me more excited also to retain my talent within the company as well, obviously. So a big selling point for them, because if not, I would have probably gone off somewhere else or gone full time or whatever it might have been. So. You talked about the application of the classroom materials in your daily job. Were there professors or classes that you took that you were like, whoa, this is a game changer and I cannot wait to go back tomorrow and apply what I learned? Um, so I definitely felt the difference. Um, I think just as a student, those of us who are working and then going to class at night, the professors that were working during the day and then going to class at night and teaching and having that real time. And that's nothing against the academic professors, but the ones that really were talking about their client meeting that they had that morning and what they're doing with their partner, why they're getting hired, right? So Greg Coleman and, and his work with BuzzFeed, like that was real relevant knowledge and the external speakers he brings in. And a couple of other uh, professors that run startups, just that real-time knowledge and also learning how a um, smaller firm is doing things versus us at such a large scale. So you were a student at Stern, you were going to work at IBM, you were helping Carolina Kirkova look sweet at the Met Ball. What what do you do with the other half an hour of the day that you have left over? Um, so I love to travel. Awesome. Absolutely love to travel. Um, I'm trying to hit my 50 states. Uh, Where are we at? That's so great. I'm at like 42, 43. Oh, you're really close to finishing it up. Do you have like a chachi thing? Like do you buy like a keychain or like a magnet from every state? So I 
I throw away everything. <laughs> so I started that, and then I was like, forget about it. I started collecting ornaments, and then I, I just haven't kept up with it. But the Alaska one, I have, like, North Dakota and South Dakota. If you guys have any suggestions. Yes. Um, That's really refreshing because I feel like people, especially – in our age, millennials, shout out to millennials, they're always like, I've been to this many countries and my passport is this full. And I'm like, well, have you ever been to like D.C. or Texas or North mm-hmm. Dakota? And so I'm really glad to hear that you're like so passionate about the 50 states. I am, but I'm very passionate about the international aspect, too. Of course. <laughs> there you go. got to fill the passport. But yeah. it's funny because if I can't fall asleep at night, one thing I'll do is I'll like go through my head and try to count how many states I've been to. I think I'm at like 30. You know, there's an app for that, right? An app? Of, of course there's an app I was going to say, there's a, we should get you a map. A I, map. Used to, I used to have a map on my wall like when I was probably in like middle school. We, used to, we traveled a lot domestically, internationally, and I put like a thumbtack with the keychain at every state. I probably still have those keychains somewhere, but I'm going to get you a map. If I had a map, this is what would happen. It'd be 1239. I'm not able to sleep. <laughs> my wife's sleeping next to me. I have a little flashlight with a map <laughs> posting where I want to go. But out of the 40-some-odd states you've been to, which one have you gone back to repeatedly? That's not – that's kind of off the beaten path. I mean people love Texas or going to California, to the Bay Area, coming here to New York. Or SoCal. Or SoCal, yes. <laughs> UCLA brewing over here. Yes. Um, so we have a, a small beach place in Rhode Island, and that has always been my happy place. I grew up summering there, uh, and I try to go up a lot, especially getting out of the hotness of, the, of New York City. Um, so Rhode Island, just a short trip north, but um, that is my happy place that I constantly am going back to. I'm like this in New York. I really try not to even go back to the same restaurant. Like, there's too many other things to see. I feel you. <laughs> I feel you. I have a very close friend of mine who refuses to eat with me at the same restaurant again. He's like, we went here already. There's 15,000 like restaurants wow. in Manhattan or whatever, <laughs> something ridiculous. Let's just go to another one. Um, so I always feel... Like I have a gun to my head when I'm on open table picking out the <laughs> reservation for our that's ketchup. What, that's when you say, you know what? You pick that. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm, I'm going to step yeah, away. Yeah, you pick the place. You pick the place. But exactly. My city would definitely be London. Oh, I love London. I'm going Such there a next great week. city. Yeah. So I had a broad there and that to me, I would move there in a heartbeat. Have you been to Dishoom? No. It's an Indian restaurant there. This okay. is the best oh, maybe. food in London. I've never actually been, but my wonderful friend told me about Dishoom, and I'm a huge believer, and Andrew and I were talking about it at Beer Blast recently, where I said, have you been to, and he said, Dishoom, yes, and so we, we gotta go next this time. This is, I, it, so for the listeners who would like to know what Dishoom is <laughs> and why it's so great, uh, it's a Bombay-style cafe in London where um, you can get non-sandwiches, all these different types of teas, it's amazing, I don't know why it's not here in New York, Founders of Dishoom, if you're listening to this, please, please open up one in New York City. Uh, I'll be at your location on May 10th. And when <laughs> I fly there, that's the first place I'm going. Uh, so, yes, London is great. Love London and definitely wish I could be spending more time there as well. So, Sarah, what's next? So we talked about it to keep the, the thread going in terms of the possible opportunities within IBM. I definitely feel there's a lot of verticals within the marketing world that I just have not explored yet. So I'm starting to figure out what's next. And I moved from advertising to sort of this hybrid of internal engagement, external engagement um, into events. And so I'm starting to kind of figure out what's the next piece. Uh, And experiential marketing to me is really exciting. So I'm trying to figure out how to really make that a full-time gig within the, the company. Excellent. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was great learning a little bit more about your history here in New York and at Stern, talking a little bit about where you like to travel, where to eat in London. We really enjoyed having you. Thanks for having me. Thanks again. Excellent.